Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Monday morning, the 24th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. You don't need me to tell you, but on Friday, the government announced the lifting of almost all COVID restrictions, much to everyone's relief. I think relief is a very good word. There is a sense of relief, not just in the immediate relief of the Omicron, because we genuinely were worried. That worry that we've all been living with has turned to hope. Today is a day of hope, a good day, and a day to look forward cautiously to a spring and summer of freedom, knowing that there will be bumps in the road ahead, but confidence that if this is not the end, it is certainly the beginning of the end. The beginning of us uh, returning uh, to normality, but to get us uh, there, employment supports continue. Good news for anyone getting pop payments. The planned reductions in weekly payments that were due to happen on February 8th will now be deferred to March 8th, with the pandemic unemployment payment not being phased out fully until the 5th of April. There is to be no change to the EWSS scheme for employers who stayed open during the last set of restrictions, but the scheme is being extended for hospitality. Those businesses that were affected by the 8pm rule, particularly in the hospitality, arts and entertainment sectors, will get an extra month of the employment wage subsidy scheme to give them a little bit more recovery time. The government press conference on Friday was very different to the serious job of COVID messaging over the last two years, with senior politicians actually able to relax. I will have a, a point over the weekend uh, where I'm not exactly certain. I think I might head to Killarney tomorrow and uh, there's a match on. Uh, and I just said to someone yesterday, you know, it's somewhere I can go now without having to look over my shoulder. <laughs> you never know. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and that sense of, relax, uh, of a more relaxed atmosphere um, for us, certainly in terms of uh, our daily sort of uh, engagement with life itself and with people and so on. Tisha, Camille Martin and Tanish Daly of Radker speaking to reporters on Friday. Let's speak now to the Minister for Business, Employment and Retail, Damien English of Finnegale TD for Me the West. Good morning, Minister. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, the odd world we were living in is all the odder for some of us it would seem albeit for the right reasons but all of this is very strange and has happened very suddenly for a lot of people to be able to take in Absolutely Michael uh, while it's great news uh, and it certainly brings back a bit of joy and a bit of hope which is and we can get on with living our lives uh, somewhat normally uh, it's a major adjustment uh, for most people we've had two years uh, of the very of the of the various variants of the virus dictating our lives and what we could or couldn't do, uh, and all the various advice and restrictions, and it's made life very difficult for many many people. 
it's hurt many, many people with their own families, their own families around them. Economically, there's been so much pressure uh, socially on this country for the last couple of years. It's a great sense of relief. First of all, that the dangers from the variant uh, are well relaxed and well gone, and that's the number one thing. But number two, that we are getting control and independence control of our own lives back, because not every don't like people don't like being told what to do all the time. And with with COVID nineteen, that's what we've had for two years. Uh, mm. restricting on our movements and people don't like that so there's a great sense of relief and mm. but we've been conditioned to, to live we that have, way yeah. we, we have Michael and mm. some people will find it very hard to come out of those conditions but mm. it was nice at the weekend to see people just out doing normal things without having to worry about the conditions or the rules see people out walking uh, out, out, out walking be that, be that events that began not going with the two metres uh, while still being cautious people in play centres, people in pubs, people in restaurants, uh, making plans again for their holidays, making plans to go to uh, cultural events, just being able to make plans for the future. And all the business community that I would talk to regularly are now able to put more firmer plans in place for the weeks and months ahead because it was very, very difficult to plan anything for the last two years. So, And I think everybody in this country is, is, is sensible and reasonable, knows that things can change again, the pandemics can, can change and come at us in different ways. Mm-hmm. But we have to get on with our lives now under these circumstances when we, when we possibly can. And we've learned a lot of the country and we'll deal with what comes at us in, in the future. Mm, there's a, a chance that it won't happen. Uh, there is a chance that the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic will fizzle out. Uh, I think that's uh, something that the World Health Organization is saying is a possibility at this stage. And we'll all hope that that is uh, the case. But as you say, uh, there is always that prospect. Uh, but... And without the return of a new variant or, or the virus mutating in a way that could cause great risk to us once again, is it onwards and upwards at this stage? I mean, are we really putting this behind us as things stand? Well, it certainly is, Michael, as it stands. Scientists and public health team, WHO, everybody talks about this being the endemic uh, that we, we, we could be through the worst of this. Um, when this first started, uh, the, a lot of the, the talk was around the pandemic lasting two to five years. We are, are at year two. Uh, Omicron will be right throughout Europe uh, before the end of March. Uh, and there's been extremely high cases, but, the, the, but the, it has not put the same pressure on the health system. It has not uh, made people as sick or endangered mm. life as much as we thought. So, yes, there is a sense by everybody that this could lead on uh, to, be, to being able to leave the virus behind us. No one can guarantee that. None of us are personally in control of the virus. Uh, we can only manage it as it comes at us. And I think we have to make plans now, assuming that we are through the worst of this. But of course, prepare ourselves and be ready and constantly invest in our public health team and our health services to be ready for whatever comes at us. But as of now, mm. while the virus is not gone, uh, our, our health system can manage where what's going to happen. And with, is with that what it is, that we're, we're not worried about uh, the pressure on the health service? Because there's still a, a lot of virus in uh, the community, isn't there? There's a, a lot of people who test positive uh, today and quite probable that there'll be a spike in the number of cases in the coming days. Uh, undoubtedly, some of those people will report that it was nothing more than uh, the likes of a, a common cold uh, in, in terms of how they were feeling. But others will end up sick and go to hospital and ICU and uh, there will be some deaths, of course. The key here, Michael, is can our health system manage what comes at it? Yeah. Uh, and, will, and will people be left uh, without treatment unnecessarily or people allowed to die unnecessarily? That's what can happen if a, if a virus loses complete control and your health service is not mm. able to cope. So that's what, you, of course, you're always trying to manage your health service to make sure it's available to those who need it for all sorts of treatments, but also 
uh, when 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 a, when a variant is a series like like mm. previous ones, you have to bring in restrictions to stop people getting in the first place. The dangers from from Omicron seems much more relaxed. It's not the disease that we've had in the past in the past two years. It's a different level altogether. But of course, we still have to be sensible uh, and and follow the advice around isolation. Mm. Uh, tr- Tracing, uh, tra- testing, and tracing will still be uh, still be there. And that, and that, that, but that, that brings us to the issue of personal responsibility, doesn't it? And we all have to take responsibility and be aware uh, that there is the chance, there is a prospect uh, that we'll catch coronavirus, and we could end up sick. Most people won't uh, end up sick, uh, or se- there won't be severe illness. Uh, they won't be very sick. Uh, but that's that personal responsibility where we decide where we go, how we do it, whether we wear masks or keep distancing ourselves or whatever we do. Yeah, and effort have referred to that in their own letter to Minister Donnelly and to the government and in discussions over the last couple of days about personal judgment. Um, we've talked about personal responsibility, personal judgment, they're, they're, they're in the same sphere. But it's important here that for yourself, based on your own conditions and your own health, that you assess the situation you're going into and mm. you understand that the, that, the, that the virus is still among us. Um, but we have, due to in, infection rates were high, due to the vaccination program that's been extremely successful, I think close to 97%. The booster program's close to 60%. So because of those two things, we're in a very strong position as a country to be able to manage and see out Omicron over the next couple of weeks. But yes, more than likely, because movement of people has changed, restrictions have changed, mm. we're back socialising again, back at work in the office over the next four, five, six weeks. That's why... Yes, there will be spikes in numbers, but we can manage that, and that doesn't bring the danger it would have brought two years ago. Okay. And it's key to remember that. But you were, you were right, Mike. Mm. Many, to, many, to, many people yeah. say. It doesn't bring, I'm sorry, it doesn't bring the danger to most people. And uh, uh, looking to talk about some people uh, who will be returning to work, because as uh, the Minister for Business, Employment and Retail, uh, you'll obviously uh, be hearing from people on all sides of this. And uh, in some circumstances, people won't have a choice but to return to the office or their workplace, whatever uh, place they work in. Uh, But they may not be comfortable with that uh, because of the virus. They uh, may be immunocompromised themselves, uh, they may have somebody in the house that uh, is vulnerable to the disease and so on. Uh, if they're contracted to work from the office, that's where they'll have to work, isn't it? So there's two things there, Michael. Uh, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge and respect uh, that employers, uh, on the whole, um, there's always going to be exceptions, but have responded extremely well to protect their employees, their teams, their staff and their customers over the last two years. And I want to recognise that first of all. Yes, as of today and over the next couple of weeks, there will be a gradual return to the office and to the workplace, which was planned last August and September as well and had started to be kicked in since last September. So we're back to those arrangements that in a phase phase people return to work. That, of course, has to be in a safe way and employers will go to great lengths, as they always have, to make that and to reassure the staff and to make sure everything is well protected. Two things. Um, there was a back-to-work protocol, a safety protocol, that we've been working off over uh, over the last year and a half since we probably returned to work first in the summer of 2020. That's been updated many times uh, over the weekend. The various teams on that have been, um, have been working on it and we'll meet again today through our LEAF programme where we bring employers and employee unions together to discuss this and work this out together. I think the majority of employers uh, will work with their staff and should work with their staff, their unions, their reps, to work out this over the next couple of weeks. Mm. I don't, because it has to be a cautious and reasonable approach. It's fair to say, when we brought in some measures, it took a while for people to adjust to them and get used mm. to them. Mm. And remote working brought great benefits, it brought challenges for some businesses. But now we need to work through this phase as well. For me and for the Tarnish and for our Department of Enterprise Trade and Employment, we want to see 
remote working becoming a permanent feature. It brings great benefits to many people. Not every job, it doesn't suit every job, it's not possible to have every job carried out mm. remotely, but quite a lot can. And where possible, we want to work with all to make that happen. There will be legislation brought forward to, 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 to enshrine this conversation. Nobody will be forced to work remotely or to be granted the option by their employers. But we certainly want to phrase legislation that gives you the option and the choice to request this and have this mm. worked out with your employer. What, well. what advice would you give uh, to uh, employers if an employee has been working from home over the course of uh, the last two years successfully uh, and has been asked to return to the office and has said, I'd rather not, uh, on health grounds, uh, because uh, they're immunocompromised or, or whatever vulnerability they have to the virus, would it be only reasonable of the employer to uh, allow that to continue? So two things, Michael. We, we have to again recognise employers are generally reasonable people. They mm. want to mm. protect... But in a specific team. case like that, Minister, yeah. what would so, you advise? So, so they need their team. So I would advise any employer, uh, which they have been doing over the last couple of months, but again, to do it with, with this new advice and guidance, to sit down with their employees, to sit down with their teams and work this out and talk this through. Like any situation uh, in, 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 an, in an employer situation, it's mm. best to try to talk this through. There will be guidance, there will be advice. As I said, we will update the back-to-work protocols uh, and we'll encourage most employers to follow them in the weeks ahead. They will be updated, they give general advice. Um, but, but again, Michael, we have, and the second point I wanted to make, out there at the moment, every uh, the majority of employers I talk to are short of staff, mm. they're short of skills, mm. and they want to hold on to the people they have and the team they have and the skills they have. So, of course, they're going to try to work this through with their employees. It doesn't mean there won't be some complicated situations or some difficult situations, but I think the majority of this mm. uh, will be worked through because that's what we're good at now, working yeah. things out. Uh, a lot of us did a, a double take, uh, whether it was on Thursday night or Friday morning or Friday evening uh, when the official announcement was made and thought, this can't be for real. Uh, it came out of the blue, in other words, for a lot of us, Minister. And there'd be a lot of people who would not have been expecting that they'd be asked to come back to the office uh, because they weren't expecting this news, good and all as it is. Uh, and things may have changed over the last couple of years. Childcare could prove to be a real problem. How long should somebody be given uh, to sort out something like that or uh, maybe they've sold their car over the last couple of years and uh, haven't got a, a means of getting to work uh, Absolutely uh, and, and that's why it's going to take some time uh, to adjust to, to the new normal and back to back to normal because we've had two years of interruption two years of restrictions two years of advice to work from home where possible and it will take time to unwind that and it will it's, it's a time of caution but also time of patience um, I don't think we can rush everyone back into work and that's why the advice is over a phase basis. Again, we had a phase basis worked out last autumn. We will return to that now and we will update it. Uh, and it's fair, fair to say, for many people, uh, the thought of going back to the office to, to go back to a commute is a dread and a fear uh, and that's something they want at all. So, again, most people will try to work through that situation and get mm. the balance right. All the research that we've carried out over the last two years from our department would show that the majority favour a hybrid model, mm. which is some working from home, working remotely in a, in a hub, or, a, or in the office. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you hybrid. know better than anybody else, uh, for that matter, because if uh, you're travelling from Navin to Dublin every day, you could be spending two, three, even four hours in the car, depending on what time of the day you travel at. Absolutely, and that's why uh, if we can encourage more work working remotely and that's by supporting employers and employer organisations through guidance, advice and support and then budgets and so on and to work with employees as well to, to enable that, to facilitate that. 
that's really, really important because everybody benefits. Number one, the person themselves benefits, their family benefits, their community benefits by having them there more often. Uh, you know, we weren't born uh, to be sitting in cars for hours and hours every day. So mm. all we can do as a society, as a government, as employers, to reduce that, it's really, really important, as well as the effects yeah. on the environment and the climate change as well. well so undoubtedly, Minister, there are issues, but <laughs> they're much uh, more pleasant uh, in terms of the issues that we've been arguing about over the last couple of years, uh, because uh, people's lives were literally at, at risk and we were all drained because of uh, the pressure all of this put on us. Uh, we are, are coming out of it uh, the beginning of to the end of nothing else, uh, it seems, uh, at this stage. Would you expect there to be a boom? I do, uh, Michael. I think we we already saw signs of a, of, a, of a boom before Christmas in the autumn as we did recover from other variants and we did come out of that. And we can see unemployment come down to nearly 7% uh, by, by December. I think we will get back to that. There's a lot of pent-up demand. There is a lot of pe- people with, with, some, you know, with savings and funding they haven't spent because of they weren't commuting and so on. So there is... There was a lot of hope out there, a lot of, lot of potential for a boom. I accept and will always be very clear on this. There are still some families that were very financially hit through this as well. We have to try to support them. A lot of businesses will still need assistance and direction from government to come out of this in a, a successful way as well. So while we're in a really good position as a country uh, for a boom to happen, and I, and I believe it will happen, mm. there will be certain sectors, certain people, certain families still under a lot of pressure. And it's up to us now as a government and as ministers to find ways to support them and get them through this. That's why you did last week see already changes made to the EWSS, the wage subsidy scheme, the grace payments, mm. the co-payments, recognising that. But we do understand that taxpayer, uh, through government, has assisted quite a lot here. Uh, over the last couple of years, there's been a massive uh, spend, uh, and, and uh, rightly so, to get it through COVID. Mm. And we now want to drive on with, with recovering that. And the best way to do that is a jobs-led recovery. So we will continue to invest. Uh, in jobs and that's investment in uh, right? and there'll be a lot of pressure added pressure to people Minister I think because of energy prices uh, inflation generally uh, I'm reading this morning uh, that groceries are going to cost us on average 780 euro more over the course of this year than they would have been the case last year uh, and the Irish Times also reporting today on how every second car in the car park at Asda in Enniskillen had a southern registration plate they're, they're all going up north for cheap drink yeah I'd always question some of that research until I see the details of it um, you know if you take a snapshot any given day you might see a bit of that um, but you know there's, there's two issues here um, we come into COVID probably after having six or seven years uh, of, of very low inflation if, if any mm. in, in most years uh, but COVID and Brexit has certainly brought an increase and an increase in the cost of living, living in this country over the last two years some of that will, will level out again this year some of it won't Again, that's why government step in relation to budgets and allocations of funding. So we will mm-hmm. do that to try to assist that. But we have, you know, we have to, part of the recovery of COVID and, and also the Brexit is to, is to now adapt to that. And we have to make adjustments. And there's no one denying the cost of living has gone up. We have to work on that as well mm-hmm. to support families. And, and the beer is half price in the north. Sorry, Mike? Beer is half the price in the north. I don't know if it's half the price. But yeah, no, that's, 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 that's what, what it is. Yeah, yeah. 50% cheaper. Uh, they're talking yeah. to all sorts of people who want to say, we're all saying you want to be maddened ahead buying drink in this country. You just go over yeah. the border and buy it for half price. Okay, so, so there's two things there. Um, since about, I think it's 2013, a decision was made uh, that both the South and the North would move at the same time in relation mm. to the public health measures around minimum pricing for uh, alcohol. Um, that's a lot longer than anyone thought. We were very clear from a public health point of view Mm. On this side, we wanted to implement that as soon as we possibly could. Um, and we, we were aligned to the North up until about a year ago when their health minister said that they would, would not be pursuing that. 
at the same place as ourselves. Oh, I know. Based on the Scottish model, it has worked extremely well, well from a public health point of view. And this is the balance. Well, that's a, the, I, jur- the jury's out on that, Minister. But if you take Darren, Darren and Elaine Daly from Clonay, who are talking to the Irish Times, people can read this themselves. They went up to Fermanagh and they bought cheap drink. There's a photograph uh, in the paper of a fellow with a, a supermarket trolley full of groceries. Uh, but they're also saying, apart from the drink, uh, soft furnishings, clean cleaning products, uh, and the big savings uh, on alcohol for their daughter's party which is coming up soon Yeah so again Michael I chair the retail forum and this is something that we will look at in, in detail and, and have been and are tracking that and we're in the middle of doing a consultation on the future of retail in this country and that covers all types of retail and out of that we will implement uh, an action plan for retail to protect that sector to grow the jobs it is an area that we employ over 300,000 people already. We want to get back to that. So all these issues will be looked at. But again, there's still great value in, in many of our shops mm. down south. If you take comparisons of drink and certain products, you will on any given day see, see some differences. It works two ways. But naturally, we need to work with our sector to make on it as efficient as we possibly can. On every, on every given day, Minister, with respect. Uh, I mean, that's the uh, result of uh, the minimum unit pricing in this country. That's what I'm saying. We have yeah. legislation that kicked in in January to protect people's health. Uh, and that does come at a cost. I, I'm aware of that. It's not as extreme as uh, people make out in some cases. But again, the North will eventually uh, align with us too. That might be that might happen quite soon. Uh, and it would be better if we were with us now because that was the original plan and arrangement. But we had to make a public health decision as a government here in this country to move on. Something that was on hold for seven or eight years. Mm. You know, a government policy that was made, you had to move on. It has worked extremely well in Scotland and other countries as well Uh, and we will of course we will monitor this and keep an eye on this but I think there's ongoing discussions with our colleagues uh, in Stormont for them to update their legislation as well Okay All right, Minister we leave it there Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning That's uh, the Minister for Business Employment and Retail Damien English TD Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk to the Chief Executive of uh, the VFI, Porik Cribben. Good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we've talked a lot over the last couple of years. I think our conversation this morning may be a little bit different than the ones we've had in that time period. Yeah, good morning, Michael. Um, the weekend uh, saw a return to a level of normality uh, and after 22 months, of either being fully shut down or severely restricted. Uh, uh, there's a great sense of um, relief, uh, tinged with, you know, there's still a lot of challenges out there, but a great sense of relief by both um, the publicans uh, as well as their staff and indeed the general public, and that was manifest over the weekend. Uh, you called for the EWSS to be extended uh, another couple of months, you said. Uh, it's to be pushed out to the end of May, I, I think. Uh, does that satisfy you? Well, it's, it's, it's a good step in the right direction. Uh, I had a meeting later on Friday night with um, the Tarnishta, uh and essentially what we said needed to be done and he didn't do more uh, is that uh, we need to see how uh, the trade is operating in about a month to six weeks' time uh, because there are a lot of challenges out there. You know, inflation is high, uh, costs in terms of inputs, whether it be... Uh, electricity, power, um, uh, food, all of those things, insurance is all going up. We're not sure what the public mood is going to be like. We saw it very strong over the weekend, mm. but we don't know whether that will, will, will um, continue. There's obviously a lot of overhanging debt and there are staffing issues. So yeah. while there's a great sense of relief, 
there are a lot of challenges out there and we need to see how uh, you know what's happening in the next uh, month to six weeks I'm sure and, 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 and take decisions then but I'm sure the extra bank holiday will be very important to you a, a four day St. Patrick's weekend uh, is uh, that's something uh, that you're happy to see yeah I mean that generally kicks off the the, the tourist season uh, it'll be it, it just falls nicely on on the Thursday this week and then you've the additional bank holiday on the Friday so hopefully there there will be the opportunity. Uh, you know, for for people to get out and about, it's 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 tinged with a certain level of of sadness as well for many families because that's going to be a type of remembrance day for those that have lost their lives over uh, the last two years. Some because of COVID, others not because of COVID. You know, where traditionally we like in this country to give people what we refer to as a good send off. Mm. Um, and, and I think that there will be, while there will be a lot of celebration over that, that, that particular weekend, it will be tinged with a, a level of real sadness as well for, for many families. Yeah, we all have our own stories uh, in, in that sense, no doubt, uh, Parik. Uh, what about staff? Uh, I think there's been concern uh, for every sector, but particularly uh, for the pub sector. Uh, are, are there enough people available for work to lift all of the restrictions, as is the case now, and open uh, as was before? Uh, It's a significant challenge, uh, Michael, uh, because over the last 22 months, a number of things have happened. Uh, The stop-start nature of the hospitality sector has led people to say, look, I need something more secure than this. Uh, I need to go elsewhere, and there were plenty of jobs available in logistics, uh, in retail, etc., so so people have have gone there. Uh, The other thing is that it's a simple fact of life that uh, hospitality um, hours of work in the, in the hospitality sector are unsocial. Uh, people have reevaluated that, and some people have left. Uh, there are many who have gone back to their um, land of birth and uh, are are not, are not coming back. Uh, and strangely, the reason why a lot of them are not coming back it's, it's when you do all the joined up thinking is it's because of the housing crisis. M- many of those people would have come here with a view to putting together, saving some money, putting it together, going back home and, and, and either buying or building a house. A lot of those are not back in, in their original country, but there are in other places where housing is more available and not as expensive. And that's having an effect on the sector as well. OK. And uh, will you be able to solve uh, the staffing crisis if people don't return to this country from uh, wherever uh, they had uh, returned to? Well, we're working very closely with a number of government agencies to try and find solutions. Uh, they're not easy. They're not going to be easy. And anybody who thinks they're going to be easy hmm. uh, is misguided. But there's a lot of work to be done in that area. Uh, and now that all of the other concerns are somewhat out of the way, we now have to start uh, looking at you know, the day-to-day issues that are, are going to be of significant uh, importance for the trade uh, over the next number of years. Okay, and what were you hearing from pubs over the weekend? Uh, do you think that all of the customers in the pubs were happy to be there? Uh, and was there any hesitancy at all? Uh, it's it's very early on Monday morning, but I did talk to a lot of people over the weekend. Uh, there there seemed to have been a right sense of joy at being able to get out to meet with family and friends, to have a pint sitting at the counter. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, there was... There was, a, there was a certain giddiness, there was a certain euphoria out there, uh, and that was to be expected, you know, for uh, people that hadn't been able to get out for, for long periods of time. But, you know, 
that's this weekend. Uh, we we really need to see uh, how that will pan out over the next number of weekends, the number of months, and right through the summer before we know exactly where the trade is going to be post-COVID. Okay. We'll uh, find out in due course uh, because uh, we're heading into the spring and summer of hope uh, that we heard uh, the Tonish uh, speak about earlier. But we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme today. Porrick Cribben, Chief Executive Officer of the Vintners Federation of Ireland. A lot of people texting us this morning already. A listener in Navin says uh, they hope that those people who think it's okay to litter our country will be out on the National Cleanup Day in April helping to clean up uh, the rubbish they think is someone else's responsibility. Responsibility. What sort of example do these litter louts give to the younger generation and what sort of planet do they want to leave for them? Uh, thanks, uh, Michael says, that listener in Navin. I don't think they'll be out for the clean-up day and I, I don't think uh, they'll heed any of the other things that you were saying, falling on deaf ears, I'm afraid. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I would imagine that's the case. John in Navin uh, says, Mike, uh, Germany wants Russia not to invade the Ukraine. It's a pity Germany did not take their own advice when they invaded the Ukraine in 1940. Ukrainians seem to forget the tremendous sacrifices Russia made to drive a brutal occupying force from that country. Historians in the Ukraine and other countries, including the UK, seem to have very short memories when it suits them, says John and Navin. An interesting twist on that story. We'll hear more, uh, I'm sure, later in the programme uh, as well uh, about uh, the Russian threat. Uh, somebody, Margaret, uh, texting saying, uh, can people visit their elderly relatives in nursing homes? Some of uh, the homes aren't allowing people to visit. Uh, uh, we'll uh, have to take that uh, as uh, you say at face value, Margaret. Uh, I think all of the restrictions should be lifted. Uh, nursing homes, I think, can make their own decisions as well. Uh, somebody else uh, saying they're delighted that the restrictions has been lifted, have been lifted. But I'm more nervous now than ever uh, with them being lifted so quickly. I think there's some people uh, who feel like that. Thanks for sharing that thought with us. Uh, it's another text from somebody who says everywhere opening up so quickly because the rugby is starting uh, and the GAA and they want the capacity crowds. That's what this is about, even the pubs. Everyone thinks the virus is gone. Anyone I saw yesterday had no masks on. Uh, but I stick with, well, I'll stick with mine for another while, uh, says our caller. Uh, somebody else texting saying 30 cent on a pound of butter was 2.19 now 2.49 uh, that's probably uh, to do with the groceries going up by nearly 800 euro this year over the course of the year and Eileen and Kel says she was in Asda yesterday unbelievable the value she says just some examples the Irish Indo cost 2 sterling here it's 2.80 euro Jemison 30 for a litre 31.50 for a bottle here thank you Eileen thanks to everybody who's been in touch so far Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, lifting of restrictions with employers. Neil Macdonald is uh, the chief executive of uh, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association and on the line. Good morning to you, Neil, and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme as always. All of this is hard for some of us uh, at least to take in. And before we talk about whatever problems or disputes there might be as a result of all of this, uh, let's uh, talk about the upside of it all uh, because uh, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> And I'm not sure, but are you expecting a boom? Well, we'd like, we'd like to hope so. Uh, I, I think uh, the likelihood of uh, significant consumer spending is, is fairly high. It's, it's probably in areas that have been uh, depressed over the last two years. I think we're, we are likely to see 
uh, you know, significant interest in holidays at home and abroad, uh, probably more abroad, um, and, and an uptick in general consumer spending. So, yeah, I, I think that's quite likely. Yeah, which uh, feeds into the already good news uh, that uh, we are at liberty to go about our, our business once again. Uh, now, there will be some people who will be reluctant and reluctant uh, with good reason, whether they're immunocompromised or, or, or not. What are you saying to your members about bringing staff back into work? Well, the announcement on Friday of the, of the full lifting of all, effectively, uh, all controls did come at, at, uh, as quite a surprise. And the other thing that, that has not happened in the meantime, and we are waiting uh, to see it, Michael, is that the work safely protocol has not been updated. So we do need to uh, see um, what the Department of Enterprise wants employers to look out for. So what we can see happening over the next number of weeks, as the uh, Tarnished alluded to on Friday, is not an immediate or a big bang return to work, but over a period of weeks. And I think probably most employers will be looking uh, to March as the first of March. As, as the date when, uh, you know, mm. people have to put their lives in order, people have to put arrangements for childcare and getting children to school and all that, that ha- they have not been, um, that have not uh, been so acute perhaps yeah. over the last 22 months. So or tra- transport, as we, transport, as we were saying earlier, somebody might have sold their car uh, last year or something like that uh, and has no means of getting to work. Uh, but they're, they're, they're real problems. But you, you think that people should be able to get their affairs in order and get back to work by March? I, I, I think um, it is likely that we'll see a nuanced approach to this. I don't see... Uh, working from home patterns have become established in the economy now over the last two years. Uh, it works for a great many of employments. It doesn't work for some others, and obviously in the in the service business, mm. it doesn't work at all effectively. Um, but I, I, I do think that, especially as we're in a seller's market for labour, I mean, workers can have a, have a significant amount of negotiating power at the moment over the, their terms and conditions of employment. I, I think it is quite likely that we we will maintain some level of blended uh, uh, working into the future. Right, uh, and this hybrid model uh, that they talk about, uh, whether that's one day in the office or one day at home or somewhere uh, in between. Uh, and what about uh, staggered uh, times for starting work uh, One of uh, and leaving work? Because one of uh, the problems that I suppose people have with commuting is that everybody is going in and out of work at the same time and it takes forever and a day to get there and back. I think, uh, particularly in small business, Michael, that that really exists already. Um, you know, small businesses tend to operate extremely flexibly. Uh, they they tend to sit down and iron out these problems with their employees, but they do so on an informal basis. So I think the difference between small businesses and large businesses is that you know larger businesses attempt to write this into formal contracts and terms and conditions of employment where small businesses just get on with it and there is a one-to-one understanding. You know, micro-businesses are those businesses with less than 10 people working for them and they account for the vast majority of employers in the country and they just work this out informally with their employees. And that's why you don't tend to see this structured into formal written contracts of employment. Mm, There are going to be some problems that will be insurmountable, I imagine, because uh, we're going to live with uh, the virus for some time to come and some people are particularly vulnerable to it and may never want to return to the office. 
that, that is true, Michael, but I, I, I think as, as, you know, COVID just becomes another viral disease like the, like the flu or the cold, um, th- those concerns revert to their status quo before the pandemic. So we've always had immunocompromised people. We've always had people who have had an, an inability to participate fully uh, in society and in the economy because of a medical condition that they have. So I, I think it's likely that we'll just, that, that, that will normalise now and we will, COVID will be, become just another one of those conditions that unfortunately um, limits the ability of certain immunocompromised people to participate as fully in, the, in, in society as they would want to. Mm. But it won't be substantially different to those other conditions that do the same thing to the immunocompromised. And the big caveat, of course, is uh, that we're lifting the restrictions, getting back to normal, if uh, there isn't a new variant uh, that comes uh, back at us uh, with the same sort of threat that we faced in the past. Uh, what planning would you like to see uh, put in place for such an event? Yeah, well, that's actually a very important point. And what we have asked uh, at the Tarnishes group on Friday evening was that in, in, in the same way as, you know, we have a published work safety protocol, we would like government to set out the criteria in which they would reintroduce controls. So whether that would be, <clears throat> for example, and I'm just giving you examples, total case number in hospitals or total numbers in ICU beds, but whatever, that they would actually set out an objective set of criteria at which point the government would say, okay, Mm. we are now going to introduce controls. I think it would be very useful if people understood those in advance and countries, for example, like Austria, have those coded into their national health guidance and they, they define their workplace controls on the basis of their percentage of intensive care bed fill. Okay. All right. Well, uh, the world really did change, didn't it? It changed in March of 2020 and changed uh, in uh, January of uh, 22. It seems in the other direction and uh, we're all delighted that that is uh, the case. Neil, thank you indeed uh, for talking to us uh, today. Neil MacDonald is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of ISME. That's the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. One of the things that will be different uh, this year uh, than the last couple of years will be the celebration of St. Patrick's Day. On St. Patrick's Day, yes, I can confirm that there will be a parade on St. Patrick's Day. After two years of an absence, we will have a a physical parade. Um, And actually, the the department is funding over two million um, euros in in the events uh, for that day. And there will also be, um, as part of uh, COVID, there will be strong online uh, content as well. And all of this um, is being worked on. Um, and has been worked on, uh, that we are doing contingency plans uh, behind the scenes, but we're delighted now that uh, the physical parade will take place and we'll announce the the details on that shortly. All right, that's uh, the Minister for the Arts, Catherine Martin, speaking on Friday. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now back to Asda where the beer is half price and half of uh, the cars in uh, the car park in Enniskillen were Southern Reg, according to the Irish Times as uh, we discussed earlier this morning. Let's speak to Una McKinney who's Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. Good morning to you Eunan and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. It seems as though there's big savings to be had and uh, people are availing of them. Is that a surprise too? No, I don't think it's a. It's greatly surprised. I think that what we have, what we know, is that there is a significant trade 
uh, across the border uh, for grocery items and for uh, all sorts of items, clothing and cosmetics and alcohol. Um, and I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing uh, just part of that trade. I think if you went to the Asda car park in Inniskillen any Saturday, uh, you're likely to see uh, the car park half full of um Southern registered cars, you know. Mm. So I think it's, it's. I don't think it's anything significantly different. I mean, I think that what we're witnessing is probably. I mean, obviously, there's an intention to to try and cover a story that would perhaps you know see people going across the border to buy extra alcohol uh, in the context of minimum unit pricing. But I think that that will probably happen in in the in the early weeks of this i mean it only came in on the 4th of january today is the 24th of january but i think in the long run um and even even the medium term i mean over the year are we are we going to see a significant more level of alcohol purchase in northern ireland that we would normally and and reminding everyone that you know normally about 60, 70 million is spent in Northern Ireland on alcohol by shoppers from Ireland. In fact, we spend about 500 million in shopping in Northern Ireland every year. Um, and I think when when the results are sort of fully known on this, I, I, I suspect that we'll not see a significant, really significant difference than where we were already. Okay. Um it's a lot of money, though. Um, there's a, yeah, a couple who are a couple who are getting married in, in August, uh, and uh, the paper spoke to them. Uh, Marie's mm. McDonough's report this morning. She was mm. speaking to Christy Banks and Claudia Hines, uh, and apparently they weren't buying drink, uh, but they are going to go back up uh, before their wedding, and they'll buy the drink there for the wedding, and they they're planning to spend three hundred euro. Uh, they reckon though they'll save three hundred euro. Yeah, I think that in the context of. Um, People who would be buying large bulk of alcohol that they probably would save save significant monies, um, but they would have done that anyway in the in the broad scheme of things. I mean, we're again reminding people that alcohol in Northern Ireland was and is about twenty seven percent cheaper than what it is in the Republic of Ireland, yeah. um, and that's because there's a there's a currency difference. That's because there's a VAT difference, um, and that's because the cost of living in the north, generally speaking, is lower. So the price of products is lower. Um, but I suppose the context again to remind you know people yeah. is what we're trying to do with minimum unit pricing is to bring about a small reduction across the whole of population, which is about eight percent. That's the target, eight point eight percent, a reduction in alcohol use, and that's because. Again, minimum unit pricing targets what was really, really exceptionally cheap uh, alcohol in the, in the off trade, uh, which was widely available throughout the retail sector in in Ireland prior to the fourth of January. So there is a there is a readjustment taking place, um, but you know, in the context mm. of what, what what's reported in the paper, um, I, I suspect that this is this is just a, a momentary sort of reporting that going to highlight that's going to continue to be highlighted but you know in the uh, maybe the reporting maybe maybe the reporting will stop but I, I'm not sure the uh, the shopping will uh, seven, no, I I'm not suggesting se- it won't stop either okay. se- 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 72 cans of Budweiser um, that would cost you what about 130 euro here now with minimum pricing 
God, I, my maths isn't that quick. Something like, what is it, about 170 a can? Somebody can do that, but let's say around 100. Yeah, it's about 170 a can, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 so 72 cans, I imagine it's around 120, 130 euro anyway. Uh, and yeah. um, this is uh, Tina and Samantha Coughlin from Monaghan. Um, they bought three 12 packs for £21. I presume that's each, so that would be £63. Uh, so instead of €130, Euro, they got that for £63. Pounds. And they bought a bottle of brandy for £13. Pounds. Uh, they said the equivalent would be €38 here. Yeah, well, you see, now that's a good point. I mean, the, the actual bottle of brandy that they're talking about is a branded bottle of brandy, presumably. Yeah. But, I mean, the minimum price for a bottle of brandy uh, in Ireland is €22. Euros. Um, so, um, in the context of minimum pricing, there's not, there, there's not, not, there is a difference, obviously, but not a significant difference, a hugely difference. But in the context of the, the consumption of what are well-known products, will you will you get that kind of difference? Well, perhaps you would. Um, but again, mm. what I would make the point is that we have an existing. I mean, again, if you look at the people who are, you know, there's a couple of people mentioned from Dublin. Mm. But there's a couple of people mentioned from the border counties, mm. and that's 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 standard practice. That's what people do on border on the border region. I mean, off that money, so that I talked about the 500 mm. million odd that's spent on cross border shopping. Nearly 60 percent of that is from people who live in the border, whose daily lives, as you know very well, yeah. we use between that border every day. Us. Um, and of course, this <laughs> is us. The, pe- the, pe- the people listening to you now, the traders yeah, listening exactly. to you now, who are saying, "Would you stop?" Uh, because they're not, they're not only are they uh, buying beer there rather than here? They're also going up and buying all sorts of things, as uh, yeah, people the point, were reporting. The point, about the, the point about the story is, you know, were they doing that before? And the answer to that question is yes, they were doing that before. Is Are they doing anything extra because of the supposable impact of minimum unit pricing? And the, the point I'm saying, what I would say is, I don't know, but I suspect not. And in the, in the end, over a year's time, we'll begin to see whether that's actually the case. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to it then, if not before. Yeah. But <laughs> thank yeah. you indeed, as always, yeah, for joining us. Okay. Thank you. Una McKinney, Head of Communications and Advocacy with Alcohol Action Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now let's speak uh, to the Minister for European Affairs, Fianna Fáil TD for me, the East, uh, Thomas Byrne on uh, the line with us. Good morning, Minister. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the lifting of restrictions. Once again, the world has turned on its head, but this time uh, in the right direction and all very positive uh, with some caution, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, look, I think everybody knows that the virus is still here. I mean, just last night, we dropped stuff to a neighbour uh, where a family member has COVID, so it's still there. Uh, I certainly know plenty of people who still have COVID, um, but I think the evidence has been clear for since Christmas, really, but I think we just needed to be absolutely careful and certain. The evidence is that the hospitalisation figures don't correlate the way they did a year ago, mm. uh, or uh, the ICU figures, certainly. Uh, but there's no doubt uh, that people are still vulnerable here, uh, and that vaccination does, is the main protector against hospitalisation and against ICU and the vaccination programme continues and I'm really encouraging anyone, first if you're not vaccinated at all, you'll be welcomed with open arms and no one needs to know that you're going down there for the first time to the vaccination mm. centre or if you need your booster uh, the times are all up on the HSE website so I strongly encourage people to do that because that's why we're in this position that we are today. This virus is not going anywhere, it'll probably be with us forever and there will be twists and turns ahead 
um, and we've had variants before, we may have variants of concern again, and mm. government will always have to react. But we do know uh, that the protection given by vaccines and the amount of people in Ireland that are protected by those vaccines has been, uh, with the, the effort of the people, has been the reason uh, that we've been able to uh, you know, undo the restrictions uh, at this particularly rapid pace. Am I, I right in thinking that there's two strands to this, that it's the level of vaccination that it has been giving protection at such a great level because so many people are vaccinated, but it's that combined with the overall level of immunity because so many people have caught coronavirus as a result of how virulent uh, Omicron has been. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of research out there and there's no doubt that if you've caught coronavirus and you're vaccinated, you've got very, very strong protection. Um, and I would suspect that, you know, the, obviously scientists are still looking at this. I would suspect that we're we're probably going to go to an annual vaccination. I mean, we can't all be going to vaccination centres every few months. I mean, that's I don't think that's going to happen. But I think that there is that wall of immunity that the scientists describe, that even if variants of concern come, that wall of immunity is there with vaccination and previous infection uh, that's going to continue to protect us. And give us that resilience that, that that resilience actually that's been noted internationally since at least last summer um in terms of what we've done together as a country um you know we've uh, uh, as the Taoiseach has said i think in you know and there was a lot of good lines in a speech on friday but i love this bit of solidarity with each other and trust in science and i think i think that sums up exactly what the people of ireland did uh, over the over the last couple of years you know we looked after each other everybody saw that everybody did their best um, but also we trusted in science as well and we went down to the vaccination centres mm. in record numbers and thereby protected. Yeah, it, it's been a, a great national effort uh, and uh, one that we can be proud of and many lives have been saved uh, because of how hard everybody has tried uh, to work together to get on top of this uh, and even at that uh, 9,000 lives uh, will be uh, remembered on the day of commemoration. It hasn't been completely straightforward and there is this caution as we move forward now. Are, are you concerned, and I, I gather from what you said earlier on that you, you, you are concerned to some degree about a level of complacency that might come in. People might start thinking this is over with uh, and they may not have had their booster and may not feel that there's any need for them to get it. Yeah, look, I, I think there is a need. I mean, I've been, I have to be honest, Michael, I mean, until the Omicron variant came in, when was that, November in South Africa, I was extremely optimistic about Christmas. I mm. felt this thing was, you know, going in a very positive trajectory. And actually, that's the case. That's exactly what's happening, except for Omicron. And that hasn't been as bad because of that immunity that we have. Um, but we do need to keep protecting ourselves. And that means, really means vaccination. Uh, and if you're symptomatic, to isolate as well. I think that's really, really mm. important. So if, if, if you catch the virus, you know, do what, do what we've always had to do for the period of time that's recommended. Okay. Uh, that's uh, the key things. And that will continue to protect us as a country and uh, continue to protect us as a, as a people. And I think, to be honest, people are cautious. I mean, I broke the habit of a lifetime and, well, not a lifetime, but I'm, I'm not a regular pub go- goer, but mm. I decided I would go to the pub on Saturday night oh. to, to mm. feel it. But uh, um, I have to say it wasn't that busy. Okay. Um, and I think mm. that that seems to me that um, people maybe are being cautious as well. And, and quite frankly, I can't blame them. And there will be this, you know, mm. evolutionary approach to this as we go up. Did you the, Did you enjoy the, it? The, the week. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. O- odd. Pardon? I'm sure it was very odd, was it? Um, well, look, I mean, I've been, I mean, I've been in restaurants and I've, mm. I've, I've been in countries as, as Minister for European Affairs with, I mean, well, there's no restrictions. Like, I mean, for example, Sweden, I was at a meeting there in, in December. Hmm. So I, I've seen it all at this stage. But um, I, I, it was just good to be able to relax a bit more. 
Uh, but also, I think, I, to be quite frank, I think people are still cautious, and I, yeah. I don't blame them yeah. for that. But I think it is welcome that, particularly that industry, um, where they've been, you know, they've done their best to keep customers safe while, um, you know, while while restrictions are in place. The government did their very best to support the industry, the hospitality industry, when the uh, when when they had to close. Uh, but nothing would replace the business that their customers give and the atmosphere and the joy and. It's just great to see that, but also great mm. to see that people are still being cautious too. Okay, and the restrictions continue in schools uh, because uh, the level of vaccination isn't high enough. Uh, and there may be some resistance, hesitancy to get children vaccinated if we're being told uh, that this is uh, as good as over, or if that's the way people are, are hearing it. Uh, because um, I, I think um, it's important uh, in terms of that national effort that has got us this far that we continue, as you said, Minister, uh, um, what would you say to people? people who have uh, some reluctance about getting perfectly healthy young children vaccinated uh, and might tell you that even if they get COVID, they're not going to get very sick. Well, what I'd say is, first of all, is that you can talk to your doctor, your own doctor, to get the, to get advice. You can look at the HSE website where there's a huge range of advice there and uh, that's scientifically vetted. Don't depend on social media, really, except for authorised sites, but there's a huge amount of misinformation uh, on authorised sites. And what I would say is that all of us have children, uh, we get a huge amount of vaccinations for our children. And, and that really means that quite a lot of diseases that were commonplace 100 years ago and not so long ago, polio, uh, TB, smallpox, um, measles. I mean, some of them are gone, some of them are not gone, but they do not kill uh, Irish children in the way uh, that some of them would have uh, not so long ago. Um, what I would say is I've, I, I'm certainly encouraging people to get vaccines for their kids. Um, all of my family has been vaccinated, um, wow. including the youngest is at primary school. Um, so I'm certainly happy to say that to encourage people that I have no concerns. And I heard, I think it was Kingston Mills on the television um, on uh, at the weekend, you know, the, the benefits of vaccination outweigh any risks. Uh, and that's certainly the view that I've taken. But, you know, everybody has to make mm-hmm. their own decision. But we do know that what's enabled us to open up, what's enabled us to keep our hospitals, what should be open for other uh, illnesses and other needs, has been this wall of immunity that we've built up uh, mainly through vaccination. Okay, Minister, while you're with us, can I ask you about uh, the Ukraine? There's a a lot of reasons uh, to be concerned. The Irish government is recommending Irish citizens don't travel to the Ukraine for non-essential reasons. Uh, See in the papers uh, this morning, uh, the US is ordering the families of their embassy staff to leave the Ukraine. The Defence Forces Chief of Staff met with the Russian ambassador on uh, Friday, was it, um, uh, to talk about uh, these uh, military drills that are are planned in February. and uh, the minister, Simon Coveney, is uh, to raise concerns about exactly that with uh, the EU. What more can you say to us today about all of these events? Well, first of all, I think uh, we're on the precipice of what's potentially an extremely dangerous situation in Europe. And I don't think that most people really have, with so much else going on, have really got their heads around what's actually happening uh, in Russia on the border with Ukraine. Uh, there are, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of troops massed uh, along the border um, with Ukraine in Russia. Um, the view is that Russia is going to invade Ukraine. Um, our solidarity stands absolutely firmly with Ukraine. We support any country in its in, in, in the integrity of its own national territory. Ukraine wants to be democratic. It wants to set its own destiny. We support that. It shouldn't be bullied uh, by anybody. It can make its own decisions. Um, what we want to make sure, though, is that diplomatic efforts are 
absolutely exhausted that we can try to prevent war. That's what we have to be about. And Minister Coveney, as we speak, is at the what's called the Foreign Affairs Council of Ministers over in Brussels, where they're meeting to discuss this and other issues, but mainly this. But they're also having a um, meeting with Anthony Blinken as well of the United States. And I don't think it affects our neutrality in any way to say that we support uh, Ukraine and this and that Russia shouldn't be doing uh, what it is doing, that every country should be allowed to set their own destiny. Now, as regards what's happening in the in the, in the the Atlantic, um, the exact position, I mean, Minister Coveney has raised concerns and we've told them that we don't want them, they're not welcome. Um, unfortunately, under international law, they are allowed to do that. Anyone is allowed to do that. They just have to notify us. Um, it's our exclusive economic uh, zone. It's not actually the... Uh, national territory, but it is an area that we are responsible for. But they are under law allowed to do this. Um, but it is it is very, very worrying and concerning that they are doing this and they are not welcome and we don't want them there. And they'll be using weapons of war. They're going to be setting off uh, missiles, live fire exercises, uh, they're describing it. Uh, and uh, the advice uh, will uh, that uh, there'll be no air traffic in uh, the area. And I'm sure it's the same for shipping as well. Yeah, um, that's why, well, that's why they have to notify the Irish Aviation Authority. I think that's what they, that's the person or the, the entity that they first uh, notified. And that's that's what's required to be done under international law. Now, this is not our territorial water as such. Uh, there is the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, uh, which says that they are entitled to do this. It's a naval exercise. So the Irish Aviation Authority was informed. Uh, but we, we, we have said that they are not wanted. And this would certainly be raised by Minister Coveney uh, with European colleagues. Uh, and with the United States uh, today, uh, when 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 he meets them, um, I think that's that that's that's where that's the exact position of that. Um, but I think we need to know that we're in a, in a particularly dangerous situation in Europe now. There's a lot going on um, over outside Ukraine in Russia. It's of extreme concern. Uh, we do not want war in Europe. I think that would be absolutely disastrous. You don't mm. need to say that. Will it be war, um, though? Will it not just be a straightforward I- invasion and then Russian rule uh, and the reaction from uh, the West will be sanctions uh, and no more than that? Well, I- I'm certainly not advocating that we go to war. Um, that's not what we're going to do. So sanctions will have to be part of our response. But I will say this. The Ukrainian army is very, very strong. Um, the Ukrainian people are very, very proud. Uh, and I don't think they're going to allow Russia uh, simply just to roll in the tanks and take over. Um, they're getting military support from 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 other countries. Um, so this is going to be a difficult situation. Of course, Putin is going to have to think about that as well. You know, can he go in? Can he take Ukraine? If he can, how is he going to maintain it? Uh, this is a very, very, very dangerous situation at the moment. Okay, we leave there for the moment, Minister. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us as always. Uh, Thomas Burns, a uh, Finnefall TD for me. They stand uh, the Minister for European Affairs. Let me just bring you some more of uh, the comments uh, that have uh, been coming to us. Um, we've somebody in touch uh, who tells us that their daughter will be turning 18 in February and they're going north for alcohol, but not only alcohol, uh, says uh, the caller. They're also going to get food shopping while they're up there. The saving I'll make uh, makes it worth the trip. And they tell you to shop local, but how can you when it's so expensive uh, in relation to the prices up the north? Uh, Somebody else uh, texting us as well. 
uh, saying it was like opening a gate and letting the cattle out to grass, the way they've lifted the restrictions, I take it. <laughs> Thank you indeed. Uh, it's an odd way of putting it. Uh, Edward emailing us saying, Michael, is the doll bar subject to minimum unit pricing and have all TDs and ministers cleared their subsidised drink bills? Thanks, uh, Edward. Uh, I suppose that's none of our business, really, is it? Uh, but uh, thanks for asking. Nonetheless, uh, somebody else uh, saying uh, that uh, the minister uh, really shouldn't be talking about the great prices here, uh, that people will go north and again in droves, buses from Cork, Kerry and so on on day trips. These fools in the Dáil are living in cloud cuckoo land. Thanks uh, for that. Paddy and Carrick in touch too, saying uh, that he was brought up to believe the greatest evil in the world was Russian communism. If Russia would only change to capitalism, all would be peace and tranquility. What happened, he, he asks. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Paddy. Um, I think we'll leave that to other people to respond to. But thank you, as I say, for getting in touch with us. Now, let's uh, go back and hear a little bit more from that press conference uh, with uh, government and public health officials on Friday. Um, and uh, as, as Leo said earlier, you know, I think many people, uh, younger people in particular, um, haven't been in the workplace. And, uh, I, you know, I'd look forward to meeting people now that I haven't met in my department as Taoiseach. I also think out there generally uh, a lot of young people want to get back to work um, and uh, a lot of younger people would be, would be particularly pleased to see them. So I'm glad for them because I think they've had a very tough time uh, throughout the pandemic in terms of a normal life, uh, either in education, third level education, doing the things we all did when we were uh, at a younger age. Uh, and um, so I'm, I'm very pleased for them. Uh, and I think, you know, we just collectively work together and, and get through it. Yes, I'm really looking forward to meet, meeting some of the staff because um, there's so many people I only know. I'm sure it's the same for everyone. There's so many people I only know from Zoom and WebEx and Teams. And uh, I've met a handful of them. And it's always interesting to find out who's tall and who's short because you've no concept of this. Um, so we're going to find out, find all of that out over the next couple of weeks, which is going to, going to be interesting. Um, it's it's um, my job to cook tonight. Uh, so it's going to be stir fry and a bottle of red wine. Um, and uh, yeah, no, no particular plans to go out of the weekend, but um, maybe maybe a quiet point on Sunday. See how it goes. I have no specific plan. I'm open to offers, Tosh. Um, um, <laughs> um, uh, I have a couple of sets of concert gigs. That's that, uh, tickets. That's my that's my thing. I won't say which ones, but uh, over the next short while and GA matches whenever I can. But no. Pardon. Uh, it's not Garth Brooks, but no offence to it. It, 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 most, it most certainly is not. No. That's uh, the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Hulahan, who obviously isn't a fan of Garth Brooks, uh, but he'd be going to some concerts and GAA matches, and uh, we also heard from Tonishta, Leo Bradker, and uh, the Taoiseach, Michael Martin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Back to work. Uh, great uh, for some, uh, a little bit uh, scary for others. Uh, there's a lot to do. We're told it'll be a, a phased return to the workplace. Forza is a trade union that has 80,000 members working in uh, the civil and public service. Let's speak to its head of communications, Bernard Harbour, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Bernard, and thanks uh, indeed for joining us. Uh, nobody seems to be in any great rush to be getting people back if they're not ready to come back. Uh, is that your sense of things as we speak? Yeah, Michael, the, the announcement obviously was made on Friday evening, so there's not been a lot of time to plan over the weekend. 
uh, and the early indications that are coming through, although I don't have that much information this morning, the early indications are that most employers seem to be taking it nice and steady. Uh, they, they, they're signed up to the phased return to work, uh, and it's going to be done on a gradual basis, I think, in most places, which, which, which will be welcome. Um, what we've said this morning is that we're looking for dialogue with employers uh, on three things, really. The first is that pe- some people have genuine health concerns, uh, including, you know, ranging from people who are uh, immunocompromised to just a wider anxiety around COVID that still exists, not least because of the ra- rapid and radical change that we've had to the public health advice. Uh, secondly, we've said that, um, that, you know, the thousands of people who've been working remotely for almost two years now, many of them now have long-established arrangements for childcare, transport, elder care, and other aspects of balancing work and family time. And the phased return to the workplace needs to acknowledge that and accommodate it. Um, and I think that can be done within a phased return. And the third thing, Michael, which really is the most important, is that we don't want to see the benefits of remote working disappear. We don't want to go back to the 2019 situation. Um, very many surveys have showed that remote working or blended working is popular and it's productive. And we think it should be part of post-COVID working life. Um, you know, as we move out of the pandemic. Mm. I think Neil MacDonald of ISME made an interesting point on the programme with us a little bit earlier on, Bernard, about people who are immunocompromised. And he was saying, well, you've always had people who are immunocompromised and there's always a a threat to them because of that, Uh, not just from coronavirus, but there's many things uh, that could pose health problems for them. And employers have always facilitated people and come to special arrangements with people who are like that. Uh, It's a valid point, is it not? I think that's a fair point. And uh, again, we've had a lot of learning out of COVID. It's been mostly negative, but there's been some, you know, positive learning. And I think that's one of them that, you know, the, uh, the, the ability to flexibly manage workplaces so that it can take account of people with specific needs like that, I think is, it has, has, has improved over the last couple of years. Although uh, Neil's right to say that that's been in place in a lot of workplaces for a long time. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're not arguing that we should stay, everything should stay as, exactly as it is. Uh, what we're saying is that the return to workplaces needs to be managed well uh, to take account of that and other uh, situations. Uh, and that also, you know, let's not go back to 2019. Mm. Let's hang on to what is one of the rare benefits of the COVID period, which is that we've learned that remote working or blended working can work, not just for employees, but also for employers, for service users, and there are wider benefits to society as well. Yeah, it works very well for a, a lot of people, and there's a, a lot of reasons uh, for that, and uh, it's not just that they're not being supervised. Uh, there's issues like childcare uh, and, indeed, transport that need to be taken into account. Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if we'd had this conversation even two years ago, we'd have been talking in the abstract. You know, there wasn't that much experience, certainly not on the scale that we've seen it of remote working, and I think there would have been a lot of scepticism about whether it could work. But we found that by and large it does work. Uh, You know, a lot of employer groups have uh, acknowledged that productivity by and large has either been sustained or in some cases improved. And as you say, it's for, for a lot of workers, not all workers, but for a lot of workers, it's meant that they're better able to manage things like childcare, Uh, transport and so on. Now that's not to say that you can look after the kids while you're working. Obviously that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, But that balance has been kind of improved it seems to me for for a lot of people. Certainly I mean even just in my own situation I'm spending like two hours a day less uh, traveling. That's time that I could spend either working or uh, you know uh, carrying out family responsibilities or just spending time with my family. So that's the experience that I think people have had and we Mm. just need to I think um, 
we don't want we don't want to sleepwalk into a situation where we lose those benefits. Yeah, and do we want to work to live or live to work, uh, and getting a, a, a work. Uh, life uh, balance uh, um, is something that uh, a lot of us struggle with. Uh, talk to me about uh, COVID symptoms because this uh, could be an issue going forward uh, because if you've got symptoms you're not meant to go to work. Uh, what will happen if somebody is uh, at work and starts sneezing or coughing or whatever the case may be? Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the I mean the, the changes that were announced by the Taoiseach uh, on Friday were very, very sweeping but one thing that hasn't changed is the advice around people with COVID symptoms, people who've had positive tests, whether it's an antigen or a PCR test, and people who are close contact. So the, the, the advice that was in place before Friday is, is, is completely unchanged. Uh, it means that if you display COVID symptoms and you have a positive test, uh, you shouldn't be at work, you should be uh, isolating at home. Uh, and similarly, similarly, if you're close contact, uh, you need to, you know, take look at the HSE advice and make sure that you're, you, you know, you're not inadvertently uh, helping to spread the virus. All right. Uh, and what will happen uh, with people if uh, they've run out of sick days? Well, there's different arrangements in different employments, obviously, yeah. and it depends on, on your employer, uh, who, who your employer is. I have to say that, by and large, um, you know, employers, government and unions have managed this very well over the last couple of years. Uh, in the public service, if you have COVID symptoms and the positive test, uh, you're eligible for special leave with pay. Uh, there's provisions in place in the private sector for enhanced uh, sickness benefit for people who, who, who have symptoms. So there are provisions there. It's not perfect across the whole of the economy. Mm. Uh, but, but I think that, you know, the, 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 I mean, part of the announcement on Friday was that the enhanced illness benefit, which mainly uh, applies in the private sector, is going to stay in place at least until the end of June. So. Mm. That's positive. Yeah. I, I wonder, though, if that's going to change, uh, that attitude, that understanding, uh, that uh, awareness uh, that we've all had, uh, that we're living through an emergency because it's felt like a, an emergency. Indeed, it has been an emergency over the course of uh, the last couple of years. But if we keep going as, as we are now, and let's say there's no sign of a, a new dangerous variant in the next 12 months, you'd imagine that in 12 months from now, we'll have forgotten uh, about the serious of COVID and how serious it can be for some people because there be so little of it about and there may be little sympathy for people who have tested positive or have symptoms and indeed they may not be taken very seriously at that stage. Now would seem the time to be talking about things being put in place, conditions put in place for people who are in that situation going forward. Yeah, I think, I mean, things will change. I mean, let's let's hope against hope that we don't see another variant or, or you know, another variant that brings us back into a situation where there's, where there's uh, you know, very, very, very serious um, restrictions on people's movement, whether that's the workplace or elsewhere. We're in a reasonably good place right now. If that continues and improves, certainly we will, you know, you would envisage that we'd be back to a situation where uh, this particular disease is pretty much the same as, uh, other diseases that you pick up and is treated in the same way. Let's hope we get there. Uh, I think that the um, obviously the sensible thing to do is to maintain that flexibility in case things do change again. Um, but uh, you know, let, let, let's let's allow ourselves to be optimistic. Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, 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 it's been a good weekend. Yeah, absolutely, we deserve <laughs> it and we need it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we really do. It's great. All right, Bernard. Look, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the program this morning. That's Bernard Harbour. Uh, Bernard Harbour, who's uh, head of communications with Forza. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Came okay, like a, a bolt out of uh, the blue for some people, but is the decision to lift pretty much all of uh, the restrictions one that has left us vulnerable? Are we moving too far, too fast? I can understand why people, some people may feel that. I mentioned earlier on in my opening remarks that there are people out there who, who are worried and we know would have been worried and, and that this may give cause uh, for concern for people. Uh, what we've always tried to do is ensure that whatever advice we give is proportional to the risks that we assess. Uh, um, we're honest about when, when there are things that we don't know. And in the case of Omicron, some of the advice was based on a precautionary approach because there were things about the transmissibility and the impact of that virus that just weren't known sufficiently for us to be able to conclude on. Uh, and when the need has arisen in the past for, at least from, from an advisory point of view, for us to advise on a rapid change on tightening arrangements, we, we, we have done that. Uh, on this occasion, we can see that the, the measures that have been placed over the last number of weeks uh, and, the, and, and, and the public has gotten on board uh, very substantially with them at a very difficult time of the year for people to, to have to comply with some of these kinds of restrictions, Christmas and so on. Uh, but we can see uh, uh, that the, the impact of those measures uh, and, and uh, in, in the context of a disease that really is, in terms of its severity, uh, uh, much less severe than we've seen with other, other variants, our assessment is that there isn't an ongoing value, and I think it's incumbent on us, if you like, the, the corollary of when we think the risk is significant and, and near and present to advise on an early introduction of measures to do the reverse when we think it's appropriate, and we think it's appropriate. Uh, and we, we think that there isn't a need for a slow and continuous or, or cautious uh, uh, stepping away from, from the measures when we don't think that those individual me- measures themselves uh, have the merit that we might have thought they would have uh, a number of weeks ago when we, when we didn't have the degree of certainty that we now have around the transmission and the impact of this particular variant. That's the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, speaking on Friday, reassuring anybody who feels that their restrictions are being lifted too fast. Let's speak uh, to Anne Dempsey of Third Age, which runs Senior Line. A very good morning to you, Anne, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, were you busy over the weekend? A lot of calls to the Senior Line over the weekend, and what were people saying? We were busy, uh, Michael, but, but people are being cautious, whether they should be or not. I suppose, I suppose we've been so long. One way to turn the ship around suddenly is, is, is asking too much. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a bit of caution, really. You know, I would imagine that um, the news will seep in. People will accept the news gradually. And I was just talking to a colleague. And we feel over the next this week, it, there'll be a more of acceptance and wanting to discuss it. But at the minute, people are just seem to be keeping a bit of a watching brief. Mm, I suppose when you've been conditioned the way we've all been conditioned over the last couple of years and living with a, a degree of fear, it's not easy to come out of that. I agree completely. And, you know, there's an ad, um, I was thinking of it this morning, I think it's an ad for a car, and it's something like like we spend, we hesitate for ages, and then we make decisions on a whim. Do you know that ad at all? No, I don't. I don't. No, it's gas. Okay, it's yeah. a car. And I'm not saying that Tony Holland's making decisions on a whim, <laughs> the science is there. But yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people do feel it's rather sudden, and they will just take their time about it. Because, as you say, it, like it shows how conditioning can be so complete. And we, we were conditioned within months, I think, in 2020. So mm. it's well, it's well ingrained now, mm. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And is it bittersweet in some ways for some people because you've got 
this great news which gives freedom back to people and there's lots of reports of young people out socialising over the weekend and yeah. the, the atmosphere was supposed to be brilliant at all of the pubs and clubs and everything and everybody having a, a great time uh, but do older people feel uh, whilst that's great um, they're out mixing in the community and uh, there's a, a bigger chance of them getting COVID there could even be a spike in the numbers and I don't want to meet up with them as a result of that I don't think older people aren't going to make any great runs to Copperface Jack at all, Michael, for, mm. for themselves. But do, do they I want to see their grandson no. or granddaughter if they've been to Copperface Jacks or oh, wherever it is? I, I think I've heard, I've heard people talking that they like they wouldn't be going on public transport. They heard that public transport mm. is getting very packed again, yeah. and they wouldn't be they wouldn't be doing that. I don't know that it's as great. Um, I think people see that because they're vaxxed and boosted, there is a, a degree of protection. That's mm. the first point. Okay. And I think there's two sides to us, just talking to people, even though it's not a great topic, but just listening to people quite carefully. I think there's two pieces. There's one a bit about um, still kind of regret about what we've lost. Mm. And a lot of people, uh, our callers, they would have, of that age, they'd have known somebody that hasn't come through very well or hasn't been, or they've actually lost people or there have been those funerals we've heard about that were very, very stark and very, very tough. And then the other side of it is, I think there's a feeling of maybe, as you said, an ease from fear, a kind of a more of a maybe a settling back that maybe it's going to be okay and you can breathe more deeply again. Mm. I feel the two positions are probably being held. Yeah, there's uh, some people who haven't been outside of their front door for the last couple of years. Extraordinary. I mean, I mm. think, I think, and we were talking about that this morning as well, if that's the case, I think confidence will take a long time to be built up. It really will. Yeah. Because I think you can lose confidence very, very easily, particularly as you're an older person. And if your world has got very, very small, as it has, even to go out and to drive or to get the bus mm. into you know, the, 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 the nearest town or whatever, I think people will need to maybe be a bit courageous and valiant and feel, look, I have to move out my life again mm. and begin living it. Because unless we do, you know, you'll still be in self-imposed exile when it's maybe no longer necessary. Yeah, that's a a good way of putting it self-imposed exile uh, what about people uh, who are a little bit more willing to go out uh, and might go for a pint or might have been going for a, a pint or that sort of thing uh, maybe to a restaurant over the last couple of months uh, are, are people concerned uh, that the Covid passes are being scrapped? Yeah I think there's there's again it's, it's kind of there's a question mark like why? I mean if they were used as a very good safety point for us all Again, it, it, you know, I heard Olivia Leary talking on the uh, the radio on the Saturday morning. She's lovely. She's in her 70s now. She said she was worried she'd never get to Moscow. Isn't that lovely? Right. And now she feels she can travel again. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's a really good point about the COVID passes because, again, some people are feeling that it gave them, it was a safety for them whenever they were in a, in a, in a room that they felt everybody in the room was in the same position as they are. So it gave that extra layer of safety, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pinch yourself time though, isn't it? Um, whether, whether you <laughs> go back to the way you were or not, uh, it's hard to believe that we're being told we can. Yeah, and I mean, I was out walking yesterday and people are still 
kind of doing a wide berth of each other, a relatively wide berth. It will take a long time to change the habits of, of so long. And uh, I feel uh, the other thing I think is I was thinking, Michael, that what would be good for people, older people particularly, who've had, as I say, quite small lives, if they, if they decide to have small, some small project they could get interested in that would get them out. Do you know what I mean? If there was a new purpose, because I think we've lost, some people have lost their way a, a lot lately, and there was nothing to get up for people used to say to us, you know, and mm. like the, the, all the, the normal routines in their life, they were gone. It was very hard to keep going. And that's when the whole kind of, you know, depression and anxiety came in. So if we got up with new purpose and new spring in our step, and even even the garden for spring, I mean, I think it's wonderful that this is happening on the at the onset of spring. And I think it's wonderful that it's happening to, if we talk about families, first holy communions and confirmations of all of that, which are very, very important to grandparents in the family, that they're going to be able to be in time for that. And I hope they do it. Mm, okay, well, let's hope that they do. Uh, your lines are open. Uh, you open the phone lines at 10 o'clock in the morning yeah. and you stay open till 10 at night and uh, people can call you. Um, it's a free phone number as well. Uh, 1-800-80-45-91. Uh, that's one 800 80 You'll be open till 10 o'clock tonight uh, and you're open every day from 10 to 10. And thanks as always for talking to us uh, this morning. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you indeed. Thank you indeed. Uh, that's uh, Anne Dempsey of Third Age, uh, which run the senior line. Uh, some comments before we leave you today. Uh, one from John Andrahada about going north for alcohol. He says, we had the booze cruise. Now we'll have the road trip on the booze bus. Uh, Paddy Duffy saying uh, Putin and his criminal enterprise government, that's the Russian government, uh, badly need their teeth pulled. Thanks uh, for that, Paddy. Just going back to the subject's of whether the restrictions are being lifted too quickly or not and how there may be a spike in numbers because we'll all be mingling together and there is still COVID in the community. Uh, The Taoiseach was asked on Friday, does that mean that the government is giving people permission to get COVID? Well, sorry, we're not giving anyone permission to get COVID. Uh, But I think the essential point I would make is this, that when the public health uh, rationale no longer exists for restrictions on personal freedoms. Government has an obligation to act uh, and remove those restrictions on personal freedoms. There is a balance here between the relationship between government and the Oireachtas and the people. Uh, you will have recalled during many debates on this in the House how people, representatives, public representatives, criticised the interference of, with, 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 with um, personal freedoms. And I think it's a demonstration of the government's bona fides that when the public health advice is categoric, that there's no longer a public health rationale for this, that we demonstrate that this isn't about government wanting to impose restrictions for the sake of it or wanting to control. Rather, it's the opposite, that we respect very much the fundamentals of our democracy and personal freedoms and that when we were uh, in the situation we're in, in an emergency uh, and we had advice, we felt obliged for public safety and for protecting people's lives to impose the the, uh, regulations uh, and restrictions uh, that's, that, that's a very important point that really goes to the heart of both the advice and the government's decision. On Taoiseach Michal Martin, that's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.